Our scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew chapter 16. Please turn there with me in your Bibles. Matthew 16. If you don't have a Bible of your own, um, just raise your hand. Our ushers can bring a Bible for you. You can use for the remainder of our service this morning. Matthew chapter 16. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God, God's holy word. God's word says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they have forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you failed to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now when Jesus came into the excuse me now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that the son of man is and they said some say John the Baptist others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets he said to them but who do you say that I am Simon Peter replied you are the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Sina Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May God give us understanding this passage of Scripture that we read and be preaching through this morning. If you would remain standing, let's bow for a moment of prayer. And after prayer, our choir will come with, 
with special music and then the preaching of God's word from this text in Matthew 16. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your blessings, for allowing us to be here today, allowing us to gather another day to have fellowship around your word, to hear your word as we've heard it in Sunday school, to hear your word today, to fellowship in communion after the preaching of your word, and just to, to see one another again. Lord, we are thankful that you allowed us to get up this morning. You gave us life. You gave us another day. We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us hope for living. With all the wickedness in this world, it can be discouraging, but we know that your plan is in full effect. Your son will soon be returning. He will put things in order. He will take us out of this and prepare us for his kingdom. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that we'll continue to speak your word, to live out your truth in our own lives so that others can hear this precious gospel, put their trust in Jesus, the, the crucified and risen Savior. They might be given life. Use your word today as it goes out to speak to our hearts, to encourage us, challenge Rebuke where that's necessary to put us, to bring us into order, to follow you, to live for you, to love you, to glorify you with all that we do. We pray that you will sustain your people through sickness, through hardships, through grief of death of loved ones, through whatever it is that we face, that you might show yourself strong in our lives. And we'll give you the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
Amen. Thank you, choir, for leading us to worship, looking at Jesus and worshiping him, looking forward to that time when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that this Jesus is the one whom God has proclaimed to be Savior, ruler, sovereign over all of his creation. He always has been that, yet he comes to earth, and not only is he barely recognized, he's despised and put down. And in Matthew, we see this, this growing, not just resistance, but this defiance of him. Last week, we saw in chapter 15 of Matthew that Jews came up from Jerusalem. He said they were coming at, like from headquarters to check them. And here again, it starts off with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They came and it says to test him, they asked for a sign. Like, where have you been? What world are you living in that you haven't seen with your own eyes, or at least heard and verify what Jesus has done all over. Who can deny what he has done? And yet, they say, show us a sign. We might think that that's valid, you know, that, well, yeah, Jesus should prove who he is. But look at his response to them. It's like he's saying, you know what? You can tell me when the weather is fine by the how, you, how the skies appear, and one time they appear red, and you say it's going to be fair today, and then it's red with just a little bit of a, 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 a this, it says the, the, the sky looks a little threatening, and you know how to distinguish that from the regular red sky. He says, but you can't tell what's obvious and right in front of your face. I'm not giving you a sign. In other words, he said, you've seen all you need to see. There's no more evidence that you should require. He says, I'll give you only the sign of Jonah. You know what that sign was? That Jonah was going to be three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish. And then he would come out. Jesus is saying that his death and resurrection are the only sign that anyone needs, and we have that sign in front of it, in front of us. It can't be denied. It's not even often denied. It's just looked over. So Jesus makes that point in the first part of this chapter. In the next part, he says to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now they wonder amongst themselves, hey, you know, we didn't bring any bread. So Jesus must be talking about we didn't prepare. We missed something. We should have we planned properly. Jesus is not talking about their planning. And he says, look, fellas, if it was about planning, have you forgotten? It's two words that he uses here, and let's take a look at them. He says in verse 9, do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember? In other words, he's saying, are your eyes blind? And have you forgot basic recent history? Have you forgotten what I've done? What I've done when I fed 5,000 people and there were leftovers. And, and the miracle I just did in feeding 4,000 and there were leftovers. Have you forgotten that? If I thought we needed bread, I don't need to ask you to go get it. Have you so soon forgotten? In other words, they, they even the disciples had a, a, a blindness, a lack of faith. 
And because of that, they missed the point of what he was saying. But he says, by saying that, then they, 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 they come to their senses and they say, well, now we understand. He's not talking about beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees. Why does he use the word leaven? Leaven is the process. It's, it's the fermenting or yeast process in bread that you add a little to it so that it would develop and rise and you can have a proper amount uh, of bread. You can prepare, you can cook the bread. What does the yeast do? It takes just a little bit of it to affect the whole thing. Jesus was in essence saying the, the wicked teaching of the Pharisees of this generation is affecting a lot. He says in verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. By evil, we understand what that means. Those who are wicked in their heart. Jesus had said in the chapter before, you, 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 you speak right with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You, 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 you major on externals, but the internal is not right at all. He identified, he called them hypocrites. He in this chapter calls as to that an adulterous generation. Oh, we, we understand what that is. It is a husband or a wife who is unfaithful to the one that they have committed themselves before God to. And that's what marriage is. People today want to say marriage is something different. We want to redefine marriage. God defines marriage. God defines his creation, male and female. We want to redefine that as if we have the power to do what we want as we please. God made us, and he says in Genesis, he made us male and female. He also took this male, Adam, and, 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 and made from him a female and joined the two together in a marriage that he instituted and said, this is what you have, and this is the union that you have. I have made you this way. And I desire to grow my creation by this means. Husband, male. Wife, female. Married together. Committed together for life. He calls them an adulterous generation because they have been unfaithful to the God who created them, and yet they want to act like they're good, we're cool, we good, we love God. And when God sends his own son, they utterly reject him and seek to kill him. Jesus rightly said, you're an evil, an adulterous generation because you seek a sign. In other words, they had ignored everything else that Jesus had done, and they sought something else. So Jesus says, beware of the leaven. Beware of their teaching because it impacts all of life, just like a little yeast in bread affects the whole lump. <laughs> and we were coming up on communion today, and, and Paul says it's a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little evil has a big impact on so many things. He was warning his disciples about that. He's warning about their teaching and their philosophy, how it had crept into everything they had done or that they were doing. Verse 13, Jesus and his disciples are there in the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples this question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? Notice 
the thought. It's like taking a little survey. Not that Jesus doesn't know, but he's letting us know where everybody stood. They hold him in high regard. Even Herod said, this must be John the Baptist who I killed, who's coming back. John the Baptist was a very godly and, and, and highly regarded man. So are these others that they mentioned, Elijah, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, these are some of the greatest men in history in terms of men of God, but there's something in common with all of them. The people see that Jesus is something special, and he must be like one of these men, but each one of these men they did not listen to. They did not follow. They know they're of God, but they still do not follow, still do not submit themselves to. Elijah is the one that, that, that confronted the whole nation on their, their, their wicked idolatry. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he saw the, the wickedness of idolatry, the, the, uh, the, the adulterous-minded people of that day who went against the God who created them and had made up other gods who weren't gods and would follow them and serve them. John the Baptist, even at this point in Scripture, is now put to death because he stood on what was right and had the nerve to challenge each and every person, including the head person or Herod himself. These men were highly regarded, but they did not impact or change the lives of the people. People did not listen to the word of God through them. Who do the people say that I am? You're a great prophet that people will ignore and ignore and eventually attack and put to death. You remember Elijah? After he killed the prophets of Baal, Jezebel went after him, chased him down. He had to run for his life to get away from him. This is a king and queen, if you could say, of Israel who should have honored and respected him but did not. So he asks, who do people say that I am? It's a sad indictment on the people. They don't say he's some false prophet and we won't listen to him. They say he's a he is who he is, or, or he's at least as, as high as a highly regarded people that we have seen in our history, but they still do not listen to him. He says, but who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We need to understand this, is that it is not good enough to hold Jesus in high regard. It's not good enough to honor him or to think highly of him or put him in the highest class. He says, who do you say that I am, Peter? He wanted to know, and he wanted to hear that word. And, and, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Notice Jesus' response. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Flesh and blood is simply a re representation of human beings. This is not human intuition or knowledge that has brought you to this point. What America needs is, is not a greater education and knowledge. We need our eyes open to see Jesus. And only God does that. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't get this growing up in, in the right church or, or being connected to the right school. 
It's not the facts that you understand about Jesus. He says, only, only my Father who is in heaven could reveal this, and he has revealed it to you. It's interesting. Everybody's looking at the same thing and comes to totally different conclusions. Well, not totally different. One is Jesus is a good man. He's, he's even a godly man. He's, he's one of the greatest. Others, the apostles say, no, he is the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, sent from God, and we will worship him. Others say he's a good man, godly, yeah, he's all that, but we will do our own thing. We will choose as we please. In fact, you know, that's what I think the leaven of the Pharisees is. It is, we're masters of our own, we determine our own destination. We do as we please. We, in essence, are God ourselves, and nothing else changes or, or, or turns us from what we desire to do. Let me get to that in a minute. But notice... Jesus says to Peter, it's my heavenly father who's revealed this to you. And he says, I tell you, Peter, you are Peter. On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the kingdoms, or excuse me, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed on heaven. Loosed in heaven. A lot of attention theologically has been brought to this. I really think it's simple. Jesus is saying that the, only the Heavenly Father could reveal to Peter and to anyone else who Jesus is. It takes God to do that. And he also saying is, on me, Jesus himself, is going to build his church, and it's going to be unbeatable. The gates of hell itself will not tear it down, will not win against it, will not prevail against it. That, that, that Jesus is going, the gospel is going to do what God intends for it to do, to open the hearts and the minds of those who God is calling to himself, and he's going to save them and use them and glorify himself with them. I'll get more into that, but I want to go to the next section because I think they're tied together. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. You should note this in your scripture. In the next chapters, we're going to see this repeated again and again. Jesus, there, it's almost like there's a change. Like this is a change point in Matthew. The crowd has seen all that Jesus has done, and the leaders have wholeheartedly turned towards, turns against Jesus. And Jesus says, from this time on, Disciples, I want you to know what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. I need to go. I must go to Jerusalem. And there I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to rise again the third day. It's interesting that he makes it so plain and so clear. This is the message of the gospel. This Jesus, who is our Savior, is going to suffer, be put to death. He's going to be raised again. And this is the means by which God will save his people. Jesus says this is going to happen. This has to happen. But notice Peter's reaction. Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. 
Now, in the first interaction with Peter, Jesus says, it's my heavenly Father who has revealed this truth to you. In the second interaction with him, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I've struggled with this for so long. How is it? Obviously, Peter is being influenced by Satan. It's, it's Satan's thought that is coming out here. But what is that thought? Isn't it Satan who's inciting the wicked, evil generation and the leaders of that to, to go after Jesus, to hunt him down, and to kill him? Yes, it is indeed him. So when Jesus says that's what's going to happen, Peter, in his, in his, in his human emotion thinks he's doing what's right and taking Jesus aside. No, no, Jesus, don't talk like that. That, that can't be true. That's not the way things are going to go. That's not the way things are going to end. Don't discourage your disciples with that kind of talk. We know who you are. Now, see, Peter didn't stop knowing who Jesus is. He knew he is, well, who he is, and, but what he did in his, in his own mind, he he desired that this Savior would act in a certain way that wasn't according to God's plan. And Jesus rebuked him for that. We don't often like to see the path of suffering and hardship in our life. We, 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 don't, we don't want to think that that's part of God's purpose and part of his plan and how he's going to fulfill and bring glory to himself. What I couldn't understand, why would Satan incite the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, and all that crowd to go against Jesus and to kill him? And yet when Jesus said that's going to happen, incite Peter to say, no, 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 that's not going to happen. I was kind of mixed up there. Do you think that Satan is simply going to oppose God's purpose and the proclamation of that gospel? He doesn't want it told that this is what God is doing. He doesn't want it told. I don't think he understood all that gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says he didn't understand it. Had he understood it, he would not have killed the Lord of glory. But what he wants to do is oppose whatever it is that God is doing and what, what is being proclaimed. We need to be very careful that in our human nature, in our human thinking, people talk so much as, you know, just, just, just go with your heart. No. Your heart is not a reliable guide. Peter here was going with his heart. Jesus, you my man, I don't want to see this kind of stuff happening to you. Jesus said, hey, stop talking your heart and talk God's purpose. Embrace God's purpose, even if you don't understand it, even if you know, don't know why God is doing, even if it's contrary to your plans, especially when it's contrary to your plans. Take in God's purpose. Did Jesus say this? Did he reiterate it? Is it something that he has spoken again and again and again, or at least he will speak it again and again from this point on? Yes. It is. But it was something that was seen foreign to Peter. No God. No Jesus. Don't, don't. That, 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 it can't be that way. I don't get that. I don't understand that. I don't want that for you. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. God has a purpose. His son is walking according to that purpose. Peter is going against that purpose. And Satan is cheering him on, <laughs> even though Satan wants to do the very thing that Jesus says is going to be done. Satan's confusing, isn't he? He doesn't make a lot of sense. 
he simply goes against the will of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, whatever that is. At the same time, inciting people to do the very thing. It also shows you something about the power of God, doesn't it? God is able to accomplish all that he desires to accomplish, even using the wickedness, the vileness of Satan himself. He's just a pawn in God's hands. God is using that for his glory. But it also tells us something about God's purpose. It doesn't always go the way that we think it should go. It's not always smooth sailing for us. And in fact, he wraps up the chapter with this. In verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in, a, in return for his soul? We pause there and come back to the rest in just a minute. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself. He should, instead of saving his life, he should lose his life. In other words, he should not hold on to and keep. He should not go after his own purpose, after his own ambition, but what God has said. I think reason why I think this, this is against the leaven of the Pharisees, this is counter to the thinking. I think we, we have a tendency to think ourselves and to raise our kids with this thought, you can be or do anything you want to be. And, of course, that is a wrong thought. That's a thought that, that puts you in charge of everything. You're in charge of your own destiny. Well, God would say, no, your life belongs to me. Your purpose is the purpose that I have set for you, not what you set for yourself. You are to follow me. You are to follow my design. You are to follow my purpose. I had a discussion funeral in, a, in the family this weekend. At that funeral, I had a discussion with um, one of my family members, very close to my age. So we were talking about an issue. We were talking about um, retirement. And I go against the, the thought of People today thinking that they get to a certain age and they ought to just retire. I, I go against that, the thought that they have and what retirement means. I'm not saying you don't have a right to, to retire. As I explain this, there's a lot of confusion. And my point is not to, to, to make that point again, but he, here's the point. We think that my life is up to me. And just like I, I can choose who I want to be, I can choose the path that I take, and it's all up to me to choose as I please. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? We also have the, have the thought, a lot of what retirement thinking is this. I've done my job, now I'll do as I please. I've worked long enough, and now I can do what I want to do. If I want to kick back and do nothing, then I'm going to kick back and do nothing. That's, in the, that's, that's this philosophy that we have in our culture today that is absolutely counter to what God says. He says, no, 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 your life belongs to me. Your purpose is set by me. Jesus saying, if you're going to be a part of his kingdom, you're going to have to lose your control your dominance, your say over your life, and accept his, his purpose in your life. We don't preach that today because it doesn't sound good to people. Well, Pastor, you ain't going to win too many folk with that. I don't care. Jesus was under the same thing. How many folks did he win by saying that? No, no, no. Peter, don't go your own way, even if it sounds like it's going to be good for me. You're talking trash. I'm not going to suffer and die and be put. That's the Father's will for me. What you're afraid is it might be for you as well. And so you want to talk me out of it so you don't have the, that, that, that issue. The reason why I bring up the retirement is, is that 
I'm going to do as, my, as I please mentality. Whatever happened to your Lord, your God, the one who wakes you up, the one who gives you life, the one who tells you where to go, when to go, how to go, the one who tells you when your life is over and when it ain't. Is he Lord in your life or is that just talk? He says, whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He starts off by saying, let him deny himself, take up his cross. The cross was, was an instrument of torture. It was a sign of sure suffering. Let him take up that cross and follow me. Indeed, if you would mark the disciples and Peter himself, you'll see that he did just that. He did, in fact, follow Jesus. And if we could talk to him this very day, he would have, <laughs> he would not back down on that at all. He would not relive and do a different thing again. He would follow Jesus. Why? Jesus gives us the motivation as he ends this passage. He says, verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. God is going to reward, Jesus himself is going to reward all those who have committed to him and even suffered for it. Just like he told John the Baptist, when John sent messengers to him, he says, are you the Christ or should I look for somebody else? And Jesus basically, basically said, open your eyes. What do you see, man? I'm the real deal. And he says, when he talked to people about John, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. He's saying, when you decide to trust me, when you decide to, to go all in for me, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. Will you suffer as a result? Yeah. There's some sacrifices to be made. But each one of those you will willingly give because you know what's on the other side of that. It's like, Lord, open our eyes so that we see there's more than just this life. This life has its rewards. The problem is they are so shaky. They are so, they're unreliable and not satisfying at all. We ought to seek for that reward for the one who's coming in his kingdom to set everything in place. He gives the reward. That reward is worth living for, suffering for, and even dying because of. It's worth it. Peter hadn't learned this yet. He was learning in the learning process. He, in essence, was saying with Jesus, I don't want to see you go down that path. That doesn't look good. That doesn't feel good. It doesn't sound good. But God would teach him through his own life. This may be the very path that I have for you, but if it is, you'll rejoice in the end because I have much reward for you. It's in my hands to give. It says Jesus will repay each person according to what he has done. I know those who, as we have a strong view of grace, we know salvation is something that's given to us that we don't deserve. But we also understand, or at least we'll struggle with this, that God rewards everything done for his glory. It's not the salvation that he rewards us with. That, that's won by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
He says, but your response to that, one of surrendering in your life, you will not regret that because of how God rewards those who trust in him, who are faithful to him, who persevere in his name. That's what he's saying. He ends this chapter with something that we'll follow up next week. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He's saying, I'm going to give you a glimpse of what my kingdom is like, and it's coming in the next chapter. We'll deal with that as we, as we walk through this. Would you understand, you're a believer, that all of our life is not difficult, but some of it may be. And in fact, we'll have some aspects of challenge and difficulty. And when we face those, know that our Savior has faced them and he is looking forward to the great reward, the great, great rejoicing, the great time. Even as we take communion today, we, we purify ourselves, we, 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 we ask God to cleanse us and we want to be right. But he says we do this until he comes. We're looking forward to that time when Jesus will come. We need to be reminded of that truth that Jesus, in fact, is coming. And the things that we suffer here in this life are momentarily and temporary and they won't always be a suffering for us. In fact, this life is just an instant. That's why we, we can take it. Because there's a great eternity of rejoicing in Christ that we need to have in mind and, and, and look towards so that we can endure the hardship. In other words, look, for every believer, there's going to be some degree of hardship. You need to get, get into the practice of looking at your Savior as a model of that hardship and looking to your Savior as a reward for that hardship because the reward is coming. It is sure God has promised it. And we need to have that in mind so that we can endure the challenges of this life and break away from the, from the leaven, the philosophy of this world, which is pursue only pleasure. And encourage everybody else to get on that same page. That's why Peter took Jesus aside. Man, don't, don't, don't say that, man. Don't say it. Don't talk like that. Suffering, really? Death, really? He didn't even hear resurrecting. They were so focused. They're going to treat you bad. They're going to they didn't hear the, the last part. And I'm going to rise after three days. In other words, God is going to complete his victory in my life. I'm not defeated, crucified. I'm a winner, victor, resurrected, and sitting in heaven, waiting for the rest of my kingdom to come join me. What's your perspective? What is Jesus teaching you? Where are you in that Peter spectrum? Pray to God is challenging you. It's not discouraging. It is to say, whatever life has that I must face, God will be with me. And I want to face it in a right way to bring glory to God, looking forward to the great reward that's waiting for me when I finish. Father, we pray that you would instill your truth in your people to guard them from the mentality of this age, to guide them to motivation that comes from you, to point them to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who not only has gone through the suffering for our good, has endured it, but has promised a great reward and rejoicing with him in his kingdom. Encourage our hearts. Now, Lord, bless us as we go into communion time now to examine ourselves present ourselves to you and to each other to be steadfast 
unmovable, always abounding in your work, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. You had that mentality and you endured and now we see a great Savior who has done all for us, provided for us. May we appreciate the gift of your Son on the cross, the gift, the motivation of your promise that he's coming back. His kingdom is with him. He's going to reward all those who are faithful in serving him. This time, I'm going to ask our leaders, Elder Brian, our deacons, to come prepare our table for communion.